0: Our scripture reading today comes from Luke 12:13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, "Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me." But he said to him, "Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you?" And he said to them, "Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the in the abundance of his possessions." And he told them a parable, saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, drink, be merry. But again, fool, this night your you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Thank you, Machine. Good morning. I'm Nathan Boyette, I'm one of the pastors here, and I don't know about you, but I've been going fulls in the book of Luke quite a bit this summer. I love the parables. I love a good story. And Jesus always tells a good story. Let's pray before we dive into our sermon. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given it to us so that we might better understand who you are, who we are to be, how we are to live in this world as your children, as your followers. Speak to us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. John Rockefeller is the wealthiest man who has ever lived. At the height of his wealth, he had $340 billion in today's money, richer than Bezos, richer than Elon Musk, richer than Bill Gates. At the height of his wealth, his wealth was 1% of the entire U.S. economy at the time. Asked by a reporter, how much is enough? Rockefeller responded, just more. Humanity is a problem with money and possessions. We seek security, identity, value, satisfaction in the wealth and things we own. Though many of us as Christians know that money and possessions will not satisfy, we still think like Tevye from Fiddler on the Roof. When he heard that money is the world's curse, he said, may the Lord smite me with it and may I never recover. Why do we think this way? Why do we going to satisfy us? We foolishly think that wealth can provide the satisfaction, the security that we long for. The context of our parable today is the entire chapter of Luke 12, and it's sprinkled throughout with Jesus calling his audience to only fear the Lord God, the one who created them, the one who is ultimately over them as judge, king, and loving father. In Luke twelve four to 7 Jesus says to the crowds, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. In this passage we heard conflict, Jesus says fear God, but then he says that God is the one who values us more than sparrows. How do these two things coexist? The word fear here is reverent fear, awe of who God is, and awe that leads to trust. One commentator writing about this, Snodgrass, says, people should fear the one who cares so much that fear is unnecessary. Let me say that again. People should fear the one who cares that fear is unnecessary. That means trusting in God and not material possessions. Jesus' parable in our passage is also prompted by fear and a desire for security. A young man asked Jesus to have his brother divide the inheritance with him. The inheritance would have been his livelihood, would have been how he could exist in this world. And so fear prompts him to ask Jesus for help. We long for security. We fear loss of control, insecurity, the dangers of this fallen world. We think that money can define our value and success. We think that money can satisfy the longings we have. So we're left with the question, where can we turn for refuge? Where can we find security? And our passage shows us that God is the only true rock and refuge. And so we should be rich towards God. God is the only true rock and refuge, and so we should be rich towards God. And though our passage is short, we see three ways to support Him. We should be rich in satisfaction, rich in security, and rich in stewardship. First, rich in satisfaction. The first thing we see in our passage is that because God is the only true rock and refuge, we should be rich in satisfaction. Satisfaction, not in our money, our possessions, or our wealth, but satisfaction in God. Someone in the crowd around Jesus asks him to divide his father's inheritance between his brother and him. He leaves leads Jesus in the crowd in verse 15. Tear and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus reminds the crowd that humanity was not made merely to produce and collect wealth and possessions. We are not merely materialistic beings. There's more going on. In the course of this parable, Jesus tells the story of a rich fool who had an abundance of possessions. And so in verse 19, the rich fool says to himself, You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. This man thought that his abundance of possessions and wealth would lead to satisfaction. Of course, wealth and possessions do provide some temporary fleeting pleasure. Otherwise, we wouldn't pursue them, right? But it can never truly satisfy the way we were made to be satisfied. It can't satisfy those eternal longings that exist inside each one of us. We all know that God alone, who made us for an intimate relationship with himself, a relationship where he knows us and we know him, that alone can satisfy the human longings of our hearts. Only that will satisfy the unquenchable longing and desire for more that exists in each human heart. A few Bible passages to illustrate this. Psalm 16 says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy at your right pleasures forevermore. Psalm 36, the psalmist people to delight your Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 107, the psalmist praises God saying, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. John 6, Jesus speaking to the crowd says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus will satisfy the deepest longings that we hunger for that leave us dry and weary. In John 10, Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And in Hebrews 13, the writer encourages his flock, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That is what should content and satisfy us. The Bible is abundantly clear. We were made to live in relationship with God, to find satisfaction in him and be pleased with his care for us. That should be our priority. As Jesus said, when teaching about anxiety in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. There was a study done in the 2000s of 120 super wealthy households. They all had at least $25 million of net worth. On average, they had $78 million. This study, its joys and its discontent, is most likely unsurprising to many of you. I'm sure you've heard many things like this. The researchers concluded in the conclusion, the respondents turn out to be a generally dissatisfied lot whose money has contributed to deep anxieties involving love, work, and family. Indeed, they are frequently dissatisfied even with their sizable fortunes. One respondent, Jeff, had sold his first for $10 million. But this sent him into a tailspin of depression and dissatisfaction where he nearly killed himself. When interviewed, he was working on his next company that his aim was to sell for at least $100 million. He wouldn't be satisfied with anything less. And actually, he said, actually, it doesn't even matter if it's $100 million. It just matters that it's $100 million something because there's a club called the 100 Million Club. If you sell a company for that much, you're in that club. And he wanted to be in that club, and he thought that would satisfy him. Wealth and possessions cannot bring us the satisfaction and joy for which we were created. God made us for a relationship with himself and others. We long for recognition, significance, satisfaction, and we try to find it in wealth, possessions, success, careers, but all of those will fail to satisfy without a relationship with God. If God is a source of satisfaction, then our response should be to the delight in him above all things. Delight in him. Examine your heart. Examine your relationship with the Lord. Do you give it the priority it demands, which will cultivate that delight which we were made for. One commentator said that wealth and possessions are a chief obstacle to salvation and life with God. These things keep us from God if we give them too much weight, too much priority. If we are satisfied in God as the source of life and joy, then this will lead to the next characteristic we should be rich in. We should be rich in security. We see in our passage that because God is our only true rock and refuge, we should be rich in security. What did the man, why did the man ask Jesus to have his brother divide the inheritance with him? What was the need that drove him? It may have been greed. I mean, Jesus warned, after all, to take care and be on guard against all covetousness. But I think that the parable give us an indication that the human heart desires money, possessions, in order to have security. The man, the rich fool, destroys his barns to build larger ones in order to amass a great deal of wealth and good possessions so as to have a secure life. After all, in verse 19, he says, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Be secure. Don't worry. The man feels secure because he thinks he has more than enough wealth. And for whatever, he takes security in his wealth. How, as this parable shows, none of us know when we might die. Death is a certainty for all of us in this fallen world. Wealth is not a refuge or security. More money will not prevent our eventual physical death. If wealth and possessions cannot be a refuge and security, then only God can provide that refuge that we need, that security that we need. Again, some Bible passages that make this abundantly clear. Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. We will not fear. Psalm 20, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. They will collapse and fall, but we will rise and stand upright. Philippians 4, Paul writing to the church in Philippi says, the Lord is at hand. God is present in your midst. is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We should pray to him and trust in him. Matthew 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaking to the people about prayer reminds them, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will give him it? If you then, who are evil, who are bad, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Our God is a loving heavenly Father who delights to give things to us we can rest secure in him. The Great Wall of China is the only man-made object that can be seen from space. It's 13,000 miles long, it was built over hundreds of years. What prompted the Chinese empires, different empires to build this wall? Various invaders from the Asian steppes repeatedly came into China, conquered and setting up new empires. The Chinese empires tried to build these walls to prevent people from coming in, to provide the security that they longed for. Many scholars have tried to calculate how much it cost to build build the Great Wall. One scholar estimates that it, in today's money, would have cost at least $100 billion to build the Great Wall. And this is the human expense as thousands of people died in the building of these walls. But despite this immense wealth, The wall could not provide the security that the various Chinese empires desired. Repeatedly, even after the walls were built, new invaders would come and conquer China and set up a new empire. We are just like that, trying to set up a wall against the world's troubles with our wealth, but our wealth cannot provide the security that we long for. It cannot hold sin and the brokenness of this world at bay. Most of the respondents to that survey of wealthy American households stated that they do not consider themselves financially secure and would require at least a quarter more than they currently had to achieve it. On average, these people had $78 million, but they didn't feel financially secure. Money cannot provide the security that we long for. Only the Lord our God, our good shepherd, can. In Psalm 23, David says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David, King in his, but also living in seclusion, trying to escape both Solomon and Absalom, his son, repeatedly hiding away took refuge in security regardless of his situation in God. If God is the only true rock and refuge, the only steady security, then our ultimate response should be trust. Trust in him, trust in the Lord, not trust in our bank account or in other things. And if we trust him, we should pray to him. We should cast our anxieties upon him. As Peter says in 1 Peter 5, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so at the proper time he may lift you up. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Our God has a mighty hand, as this passage says, and he cares for us. And so we can find security in him. If we are satisfied in God and if we seek him as our only refuge and security, then we will naturally think of our wealth and possessions in terms of stewardship, which is our final point. If money, possessions, and wealth are not for satisfaction and they're not for security, then what are they for? They're for stewardship, for God's mission and kingdom. We are to steward them for his glory and the flourishing of ourselves and others. This concept is not explicit in our passage, but our passage does implicitly teach stewardship. If you will, what the rich fool says, he's incredibly self-focused. Look at verses 17 to 19. He uses 12 personal pronouns. This would have been jarring, glaring to the audience. In verse 17, he says, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample things laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. This rich fool thought that all that he had was his by right, that he had earned. It was all his. He views everything as his by right, none of it as a gift from his maker. The rich fool is asked by God, fool. This is the only time in the book of Luke that God speaks directly, God the Father speaks directly to somebody. Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And then Jesus concludes the lesson with an exhortation to be rich towards God. All of our possessions and wealth are gifts from the one who made us, the one who created everything. Everything we have is from his hand. We cannot take it with us. And so what are we to use it while we live this earthly life in a manner pleasing to him? So first we need to see that all our wealth and possessions are ultimately God's. They're all his and we are merely stewards of it. A steward is somebody who is entrusted with something to care for another person's possessions. In Deuteronomy 8, Moses speaking to the people of Israel as they're about to go into the promised land, a land rich in milk and honey, a land where they would prosper, Moses reminds them, beware when you get there, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You should remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Any wealth or possessions we have comes by God's gracious hand. So if it's not ultimately ours, then we are stewards, someone who is to care for another's possessions and wealth. This is of utmost importance. Jesus warned again and again about the dangers of money. In the Sermon on the Mount, he said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Paul warned his readers in 1 Timothy 6, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils, is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The love of money causes people to wander away from God, because you can't serve God. God, and money. And that's why the practice of tithing in back to the Lord isn't. That's why in the Old Testament, there's many instances of this, even before it's first instituted in Leviticus, but Abraham gave back to the Lord a tithe when he gave to Melchizedek. Jacob, his son, also gave a tithe to the Lord. In the Old Testament, God's people were called to give a tithe, 10% of their harvest and possessions to the Lord, as a reminder that it was all originally from his hand. In Leviticus 27:30. God calls the people, every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, it is the Lord's, it is holy to the Lord. The tithe had three purposes. First, it provided for the support of the ministry, the temple, the priests, the Levites. Second, it provided for the needs of the poor in the community. And third, it provided an opportunity to celebrate as God's people together in God's presence. Celebrate his provision, celebrate his kindness, to worship him. When we come together, we no longer pass the plate because of the pandemic, but when we did pass the plate, it was a reminder that we're worshiping God even in the giving of our tithes and offerings back to him. Our tithe is an act of worship. We, the church, as God's people after Jesus, still have important obligations. We support the the work of God's church, those he has called to ministry. We should still support the poor. We should still celebrate in worship as we give back to God. Sorry, I lost my place. There we go. The message of the parable of the talents, which we're gonna look at in two weeks, is that we are not just supposed to be stewards of money, but we're supposed to be stewards of everything that God has given us, our loss, our wealth, our gifts, our time. Everything is God's and we're supposed to use it all as stewards for his glory. In the Lord of the Rings, Denethor, the steward of Gondor, is the last of his family to sit as a steward over the kingdom of Gondor. His family had been entrusted in keeping Gondor safe for the kings to return and lead Gondor in mighty war against the evil forces of Mordor. But Denethor has grown bitter proud over his position, and so when news arrives that the true king is returning, Denethor clings to his authority and his place as the one who rules Gondor. Gandalf the wizard is in the city telling Denethor that the true king is on the way back. He's saying, authority is not given to you, Denethor, to deny the return of the king. You're just a steward. Denethor responds, the rule of Gondor is mine and no others. We are all like Denethor, stewards over all that has been entrusted to us. But sadly, too often, we also, like Denethor, look at our own private kingdoms and we think, this is mine. I'm the one who gets to decide how to use all this. I'm the one who gets to rule over it and distribute it how I see and please. We think that all of it is ours, no others. My money, my house, my things, my skills, my gifts, my time. Speaking about this, because the Bible speaks about this quite a bit money is mentioned 800 times in the bible it's the second most mentioned topic 11 out of jesus's 39 parables have money as a central focus why is this placed so much emphasis and importance in the bible it's because too often we allow money and possessions to be the satisfaction and security which only god himself should be when we come to realize that god is our satisfaction and security then our relationship with wealth and possessions changes. We begin to understand that we are stewards of what God has given us, and we begin to rethink how we can use it. God cares about our whole entire lives, and money and possessions are, whether you like it or not, an important part, a very important part of our lives. God cares about how we use our finances. He cares about how you're going to spend your money because it is a barometer of the soul to a degree. He calls us through his word to generously give to his kingdom and to other individuals in need. We've already touched the church or call tithes and offerings, but sadly, it's not the norm in the American church anymore. A few statistics from a recent American wide survey on charitable giving. American Christians on average give 2.5% of their income to kingdom causes, not just churches, kingdom 2.5%, well short of the 10% tithe. But even more shocking is that during the Great Depression, Christians gave 3.3%. We're giving less than our forefathers did during a much more difficult time. When when surveyed, 17% of Americans state that they regularly tithe. And 37% of those who identify as evangelicals don't even give to churches at all. Now compare this information to how we spend on our entertainment our vacations, the pleasures of life that we enjoy, our houses, our cars, any number of things. We all need to take a hard look and evaluate. Are we living as stewards of what God has given us? But more important than the percentage of what you give to the church is your heart attitude. That's what I'm concerned about as a pastor. What is your heart attitude? Do you focus on wealth and possessions as a means to security and satisfaction, or do you focus on them as a tool and means for God's kingdom. Randy Alcorn has this wonderful book that I want you to read called Money, Possessions, and Eternity. And in this book, he has this to say about tithing and giving beyond your tithe. Tithing isn't something I do to clear my conscience so I can do whatever I want with the 90%. All of it belongs to God. I must seek his direction and permission for whatever I do with the full amount. I may discover that God's different I do. God tells us why he gives us more money than we need. It's not so we can find more ways to spend it. It's not so we can indulge ourselves or spoil our children. It's not so we can insulate ourselves from needing God's provision. It's so we can give and give generously. God is calling each one of you to evaluate your relationship with finances and wealth. God may call you to give beyond EP Church, and that's great, he may call you to give to people who aren't related with our church at all. And that's fine, to missionaries, to worthy endeavors, to other opportunities. And I would be filled with joy if you do that. If you remember here, then I really encourage you to prayerfully think about if you are adequately supporting the church which God has called you to and which you have made membership vows to. That's something that you need to evaluate. Another great quote from Alcorn that will help us think he says, a disciple does not ask, how much can I keep, but how much more can I give? Whenever we start to get comfortable with our level of giving, it's time to raise it again. I'm not just preaching to yourself, I'm to myself. I've been constantly to my own personal life. Somebody I knew in seminary, his father-in-law was repeatedly audited by the IRS because he consistently, year after year, gave away over 50% of his income. He was audited multiple times because the IRS couldn't fathom that an individual had been giving away that much of their money. They didn't believe it. My wife and I were missionaries in China for many years. And with that we were with, you have to raise all of your financial support. And we repeatedly, again and again, saw individuals sacrificially give so that we could be there in China ministering. It encouraged us so much. People who materially had very little joyfully gave to the Lord what they could by investing in God's kingdom through our ministry. As one of your pastors, my concern is that you live as a faithful steward of all that God has given you. Everything you have is a gift from his hand So the question is, are you using it as a faithful steward in a manner pleasing to him? Being a steward of the wealth and possessions we have been given by God has far-reaching and impactful consequences on everything that we do, on our possessions, the houses we live in, the car we drive, the next new cool gadget that we might want to buy. Retirement, do we that huge amount of money? Do we really need to get to a certain amount of money and retire as early as possible so we can just stop working and enjoy the golf course or whatever else you might like? Investing, the companies we invest in, do you do the research to see if they are building their wealth off the oppression and exploitation of other people around the world or are they things that would for God? It's an important question. How we raise our children, are we teaching them that everything they have is from God's hand, that they should be giving back to God from the resources that they have? Do we teach them that the goal of life isn't to get the best job, make the most money, have the biggest house? These things are learned from a very young age. Important life events, birthdays, weddings, funerals, is our goal in those to show off to the world how much money we have and look at this awesome event that we can pull off. There are so many more ways that you can probably individually think of where a shift in your perspective away from this money, this wealth, this possessions is mine, to I am a steward would shift and change how you interact with your money. Now, I'm not saying that we should not use some of our money for our own betterment, for our own enjoyment, our flourishing. God desires and longs us for us to do that. But the reality is that here in America, too much self-denial too much austerity is not a problem, for the most part. There are some individuals who are struggling with poverty. But America is one of the wealthiest nations in all of human history and in all of the world currently, and most people enjoy a life that was unfathomable even 100 years ago. For most of us, it's quite possible to have a relatively comfortable life, all things considered, and still use a significant amount, significant amount of our wealth sacrificially, for the advancing of God's kingdom. By way of, I want to bring all three points together because they are all connected. If you're not satisfied in God, then you will not feel secure in him. And if you do not feel secure in your relationship with him alone, then you will find it very difficult to use your resources as a wise steward. Because if you're not satisfied in your relationship with God, if you don't feel secure, then you're going to keep trying to find satisfaction And security and money and possessions, and you're gonna keep putting off being a steward of what God has given to you. We were created for an intimate, loving relationship with God and others. A relationship with God should provide all the security and refuge that we need, all the satisfaction that the human heart longs for. But sin has caused us to seek security and refuge in other things. And so we seek wealth and riches in order to find that satisfaction and security for which we long. But in Jesus Christ, our Savior, we have been saved from our longings and our insecurity, saved from our sin so that we might be in a relationship with God and therefore be rich in satisfaction, rich in security, and rich in stewardship. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given it to us to challenge, encourage, and comfort us. We pray right now that you would help us to go out from here thinking, evaluating the way. Sometimes messages are not easy to hear or easy to give, but we need to hear them, Lord God, and so I pray that you would prick our hearts where they need to be pricked and help us to endeavor all the more to trust in you, to be satisfied in you, and therefore use all that we have as stewards for your glory, for the love of our neighbor for the flourishing and building up of your kingdom through the church. Pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.